The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates and the Shiawassee 6. A couple things to start. Live audience is pumped up. Thank you for being here. That's good stuff. <laughs> you know, it's where I actually have a, let's just say, lawyer that I know who has made an accusation that the Shiawassee 6 I'm like throwing up gang symbols my god what's next man I mean Jesus the Shiawassee 6 is not a gang it is a covert political organization yeah that will help and you know today is actually the 18th anniversary of Malice at the Palace this is my first term in law school I'll never forget coming home from school that night, had Jumpstart, and I come home, put on ESPN, and I'm seeing Ron Artest jump into the stands going after people, and Bill Walton say what a horrible thing it was. We'll be talking about that forever. Do you know one of the referees was Tim Donahue, who was actually the referee, Donahue, whatever you say his name, was actually one of the referees, or the main referee, got caught in the basketball gambling scandal. Who knew? Time flies. Okay, so what we're going to talk about now is a very strange holiday experience from when I was 20 years old. And, you know, you look back on things, and at 20 years old, a couple things to keep in mind. I am going to Stockton full-time. We just moved into the house in Ventnor, Aunt Mare, Mom, and myself, and our animals. I'm bartending at Tropicana. I'm doing stuff with the union. And it's Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving, we talk about this in Jersey, how Jerseyites, they want to celebrate anything. Somebody texted me and said, I just celebrated my divorce, and tomorrow's friendiversary. Okay, I mean, what? People in Jersey, they look for reasons to gather and eat and drink. And Thanksgiving, I mean, obviously, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving's always been one of the biggest drinking days of the year. As somebody who's been sober my whole life, it was, and who bartended too, actually, it was always fascinating watching these people the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I mean, my God, if you were an idiot, it really came out the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And this Wednesday was fascinating. We had class at 8 a.m. Now, one thing to keep in mind about me on the holidays, I always like to work. Here's why. My Uncle Sam Ioli, one of the best people I've ever had the privilege of knowing. Love that man. He taught me... We were poor and stuff. He said, look, if you work on the holidays, you're going to get a step ahead of the competition. So I always viewed the holidays as an opportunity to get ahead 
make more money, win cases, etc. Whatever what station in life was at the time. So I never embraced the holidays the way many people did. To me, it was like, okay, cool. Today, I know the prosecutor's partying with their family. I'm going to study more discovery, get ahead of them. It was a theme for life. At this point in life, we had class at 8 a.m., one of the communication classes at Stockton. Now, I want you to think about this. It is the mid-90s. It's South Jersey. It's Wednesday before Thanksgiving. There were like 80 people in this class. How many people do you think showed up to this class? It was me and three other people. So the professor, Chuck McGeever, and some of you have heard about him before, he just tells us his tales of woe and how he hates the holidays and we sat there for 30 minutes and he let everybody go. And I go to the library and I'm like, okay, well, that's that. I'm actually off from Tropicana that day. And I'm just going to study all day. The library was nice and quiet. I'll go hit the gym. Go home, watch some TV, whatever. But my dating life at this point as a 20-year-old was pretty diverse. It was pretty out of control. Um, I was dating girls in college. I was dating cocktail waitresses at work. And I was dating a professor at college, which was an interesting dynamic. And these three entities will come together as we proceed. So, I go to the library, and I get a call from a supervisor at work. And he says to me, listen, so-and-so called out, can you come into work today, noon to eight? It's going to work noon to eight the next two days. It was going to be bar one. Now, bar one, back in the day, casino floor, that was a pretty lucrative spot to have. After tipping your bar porter and stuff, you'd probably walk with like $120 in tips, get your eight hours of pay. Back then it was good money, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go in the work. I start packing up my stuff, and there's this girl. Now, this girl and I had been on one date before, and I guess it's important to explain the date. She tells me how she's going to be at this party tonight. And I told her, I'm going to work till 8 in Atlantic City. She goes, well, the party's going to be like 10 o'clock. Why don't you come by like to hang out? Her and I had a very interesting date. And something about the holidays and food come together. And let me tell you, people can get crazy with food. People can take food to another level. I am not a foodie myself. I'm sure food is fine, but people... They just get stuck on this whole food thing. And sadly, some people think they're amazing cooks, and they're not. And some people are great cooks, and they don't know it. This girl I had an issue because of her cooking. Let me explain. I had this huge crush on her. I'm a kid. And about a week before Thanksgiving, I asked her out got the courage, I asked her out, 
and I'm going to take her to Il Verde at Tropicana. Il Verde was an amazing gourmet restaurant at Tropicana. Utterly amazing. And it was expensive. I got comped. I tipped really well. Got her this really good champagne. Had one of the best meals we ever had. And it was just a really cool night, right? We're driving back to her apartment. She lived in the dorms at Stockton. We lived in Ventnor at the time, so I'm driving her back. And she just, she tells me things. And she goes, listen, we'll never mention names, by the way. But she says to me, you know, it's amazing how you dance between both worlds. You're working full-time in the casino. You're at the top of your class. She goes, I have such admiration for you. She goes, I really like you. I'm like, wow, I really like you too. She goes, I planned a big surprise for you back at my dorm. Now, I'm thinking to myself, huh, okay. I'm going back to the dorm. And she had asked me before what kind of pie I liked. And I guess I told her a Boston cream pie, but I'm... At this point, as a 20-year-old, it was like Charlie Brown's teacher talking. So, we get back to the dorm, and she made this pie. And she put a lot of effort into it. She was like, I made this for you. And I'm like, wow, that's um, pretty cool. She goes, try it. Okay. And I said, you know, I'm really not that hungry. We just ate. She says, oh, please, please, you're going to love this pie. So I take a piece of the pie. Alright, guys, look. We should never judge somebody on their baking or cooking abilities. We shouldn't. But this was the worst pie I ever tasted in my life. I felt like I was being poisoned or something. I don't want to tell it to her. We just had this amazing date. And I'm like, oh, really good. I push it off to the side. She goes, well, now finish it. Like, oh, no, no, I'm full. My, I got a weak stomach. Let's go watch some TV. It's like, no, I made you this pie. I made you this pie. I want you to finish this pie. Well, it was getting really, really important to her that I ate this pie. Okay. What do you do in this situation? Because I'm going to tell you. Right now, this pie was horrible. Okay, this was like eating toxic waste or something. I mean, I couldn't get this pie down. And you're doing like this balancing test in your mind. Okay, do I muscle through the pie and maybe puke? Or do I just try to change the conversation? I don't know. She gets really demanding. I am demanding you eat this pie and eat it now. I worked a long time on this pie. We had this great night. Why won't you just eat the pie? Guys, the pie was hideous. It was horrible. Wait, look. I'm sorry. I'm not eating the pie. I can't. I'm, I'm going to puke if I eat this pie. I, I can't eat the pie. Can we just get past the baked goods and move on? She takes the pie and she throws it across the room. And she's screaming. I can't believe you want to eat my pie. And she's crying her eyes out like, hey, it's okay. Look, I was full. I'm trying. So, 
won't eat the pie. And she asked me to leave. So I left. Um, week later, Wednesday morning, she comes up to me in the library. Let me just tell you, this is a college crush, all right? Like a real hardcore college crush. And you know she's a little crazy. I mean, she took the pie and she smashed it across the room. But she is beautiful. I'm 20 years old. I don't know what the hell these things are about life. You're overlooking these red flags. But I knew I couldn't eat this pie. The pie was going to be bad, man. I mean, it was just... Ugh. It was bad. Just couldn't eat the pie. And that was the end of us. But then I see her the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. In the library. And I'm... Okay. So here we are. She comes up to me, looks as pretty as ever, and tells me, hey, are you going to come to this party tonight? And I said, well, I got to work till 8. But, um, you know, got to work till 8. But, I mean, I guess I get there. She goes, well, come about 10 o'clock. I'm like, all right, cool. Now, I'm thinking to myself, at the time, well, at a party, I get back into that Ilverty zone. We'll be good to go. There'll be no need to eat food. You know, I, I got this. As I'm leaving the Stockton Library, she says, Oh, and I'm bringing Brussels sprouts. What? I'm bringing Brussels sprouts to the party. Okay. I'll expect you to be eating those Brussels sprouts. Oh my god. Now listen. If the Boston cream pie tastes like toxic waste, I don't like Brussels sprouts to begin with. What are her Brussels sprouts going to taste like? And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll get there 10, 30, 11. The Brussels sprouts will be gone. Right? I mean, this is logic. So I get there. And, um comes across the room with like this basket of brussels sprouts b i got your brussels sprouts oh my god i i don't want to eat these brussels sprouts so like i take what i tell this joke oh look it's all over there like throw the brussels sprout like a guy like throwing a drink behind she says i want to see you eat these brussels sprouts now i think okay there's something wrong here why does this woman have this need to have me eat her horrible food? She is a beautiful kid. We're 20 years old. We're into each other. I don't want to eat the food. She pulls me to the side and says, I really want you to eat the Brussels sprouts in front of me. I can't do it. I just, I can't. I need... I've never used drugs or harmed myself physically, but I feel like this would have been the equivalent of that. I, I just couldn't eat the Brussels sprouts. There's another guy there. She kind of liked him, too. And he is playing Mr. Rebound. He sees her crying while holding this basket of Brussels sprouts. And he says to her, I'll eat those Brussels sprouts. And I'm looking at him like, dude, you're not going to eat this, right? And he starts, like, throwing these Brussels sprouts down. He's eating them like a champ. 
I mean, it was better than Jen Kelly doing the one chip challenge, right? I'm just sitting like, wow. And I realized this poor bastard, he must really be into her more than me. Because that food was, no. ironically, seen them on Facebook today. They are married many years later, and, um, and he's put a lot of weight. And I, I just can't imagine. He's got to be stepping out in different places, right? I mean, either he became immune to her horrible cooking, or he just, you know, out of depression drinks. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you. And, and she's a very nice person. That was the worst food I could have ever imagined. My God. It was horrible. I, I couldn't eat the Brussels sprouts. And he cared about her more than I did. I treated her great. I take her to Old Verde. This is big money back then. I'm a 20-year-old bartender. I just put my aunt and mom the house. Disposable income is not really there, but I want to put on the show. Took her to the best restaurant, gave a great tip, had a night of our life. She has to bring up the goddamn cream pie. And then, we try to get through that. Here comes the Brussels sprouts, her future husband. He's stuck eating that for the rest of his life. I don't know. Couldn't do it. So then, I leave. Because she was the sole reason I went to this party. Yeah, was just, you know, I don't want to be huh? I mean, I'm bartending at Tropicana. I'm not really hanging with college kids anymore. It's just, you kind of, I guess corrupt it would be the word. I don't know. It was a whole different world. And, um, I go to the professor's party. Which is like 15 minutes away. Many of the professors at Stockton lived what we call student ghettos. Like, here were the dorms, and here were some cheap apartments, and some of the professors lived there. And this one professor I dated a little bit, she was a little older, she called me and says how she was going to be at this party. And, um, okay. So I show up. Now, this is a little different than the frat-type party we're at. I mean, these professors, for the most part, were geeks. I mean... Part of them felt like they were the greatest gift in the world because they were educators, which was kind of comical. Very arrogant, and when they got a lot of liquor in them, the way the world was on their shoulder, oh, I had to teach three classes last week. Okay. I'm the only student there. And, uh, you know, I don't know if she had a situation or not. An older professor, she was cute. She makes a move on you. She's telling you her stories. You're sharing stories with her. There's like a connection going on. She's like a mentor in a way. And um, so I tell her the story, without mentioning the student's name, about the Brussels sprouts and the Boston cream. And she goes, you know, you don't need a girl. You need a real woman. A woman that would appreciate going to Il Verde. She says, well, I'll tell you what. She goes, people don't know this about me. I am an amazing cook. She goes, why don't you come over next week to my house? I will cook you the meal of a lifetime. So I'm kind of on a high about that because here's your professor you had a crush on. She's invited you over to this great meal. Now, there's always a catch, right? I'll tell you what happened a week later. Um... I went to her house 
and she mentioned this meal. I mean, and like, she's talking it up. Like, this wasn't texting because you had to text back then. You called. And every conversation we had, and we talked a lot late at night. She liked the chat. Was, oh, I'm going to make this amazing meal. And we're going to do this. And we're going to do that with the meal. And, um, now, mind you, she's like probably 10 years older. She's a young professor, but older woman than me at the time. Highly educated. Looked like the picture of stability. And I was very happy I connected with her that night. And I'm talking her on the phone the following week and gonna have this great meal at her house. I get to her house and I uh, brought a nice bottle of wine, which was probably like a $30 bottle of wine back then. 20 year old, that was a nice bottle. And I said, So, really looking forward to the meal. She goes, What do you mean? Well, you talked about cooking this meal. I'm really excited, actually. That afternoon she was talking about it. She goes, you son of a bitch. I taught all day. And you think I'm going to cook for you? Why do you think that? Is that what you did? You came over here just to eat my food? I'm confused. <laughs> then she talked about the story I told her. I told you the story about the girl with the bad food. She said, so you take her to Alverde, but you expect me to cook for you? Um, then she explained that she just broke off of a serious relationship and she shouldn't be seeing a student and, uh, give me a counseling session for two hours, which was great. Um, she ended up back with the boyfriend, I think. I think they're married or something. I, I kind of lost interest in checking, but yeah, that was, um, second part. But now the professor party, remember, you went to the college party you go to professor party. They go to sleep at like one or whatever. You know, so the party ended like at midnight. I'm going back to Atlantic City. This girl I knew from Trop, she calls, she goes, hey, we are, um, we're having a party. Why don't you come by? So now I'm going to hit my third party in the night. Not drinking any of them, Mr. Sobriety. And I go to the party. And this one was interesting. Um, she says to me, we'll hang out sometime. I'll cook for you. She was really interesting, this one, because she was brilliant. But she would pretend to be dumb. She took on the dumb persona, but she was smart as hell. So we connected talking about things and all this other stuff. Now, this is a wild party. Um... I'm seeing people do lines of coke off plastic furniture. You know, in Jersey, the furniture stays plastic. It's always interesting seeing them do a bump on a plastic line and can get that really convoluted. Very. Um, she says she's going to cook. Uh, we make plans to hang out later in time. Uh, supervisor calls my phone again. Now, remember, I worked noon to 8 that day. It's now like 115, 120, something like that. I don't know. We're back in so like five minutes from Tropicana where this party was occurring. And the supervisor asked if I would do overtime. Would you work from 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. in the stadium club? 
Now, Stadium Club was a free bar in the middle of the casino floor. And let me tell you, when Stadium Club was hopping, that was the place to be. That's where you wanted the bartend at Stadium Club. Of course, a couple idiot bartenders started charging people for drinks and got the bar destroyed. But at this time, it was a big money bar. So I work at Stadium Club, 2 to 10. And then I got to go back to Tropicana from noon to 8 and work again. I'm breaking in the overtime. Um, <laughs> do the two to ten shift. Always an interesting shift. Go home, take a quick shower. My aunt says, "Hey, it's time for you to put the Christmas tree up." And we moved the veteran. The Christmas tree meant a little plug-in thing. So, put the tree up. Bring Aunt Mary a pie. Take the quick shower. Run right back to Tropicana Bar Ten. Uh, noon to eight. I'm going to go home, do some homework. Really haven't slept in a couple days. Yeah, it is what it is. And I'm back at the house, and she says to me, cocktail waitress says, hey, why don't we go hang out somewhere? Okay. Now, the Alki was this gym in Atlantic City. It's a little club we all had a piece of. And you would often bring your date to the Alki after hours. It was the place. Like, when you couldn't afford hotels and stuff back then, the Alki was the hangout. So she goes, I'll meet you at the Alki and I'll bring food. Like, oh. Now, I don't know what that means. She comes to the Alki, throws the pizza on the pool table, says, there you go. Now, at this point, I'm kind of happy... Because it's like, well, this is before the professor's meal fiasco hit. But it's after the good-looking college girl's food, which was like toxic waste, occurred. How bad could the pizza be? Different levels of society. And we shot some pool, ate some pizza, it was a good night. And that was that. So, it was a, um interesting Thanksgiving holiday during my 20th year. It's a long time ago, obviously, but, um, yeah. I guess my advice is this to this, my single friends out there. When a woman says she wants to cook for you, be very careful. Because maybe she does. But if she doesn't, she could just be saying that to get your attention. Or the food could be horrible. Or, I mean, there's just so many ways this could go. My advice is take them to a nice restaurant. Take the cooking aspect out of the equation. As a youth, I've been severely scarred on this cooking issue. And I think back to Thanksgiving in 1996 and say, wow. Luckily, when I see these people on Facebook today, when I go to the people you know because they're stalking your profile, these memories come back. And I'll be real. What really brought this to life, these holiday memories, if you're going to do a few of them, I was thinking about George Costanza's father, Frank, and the Festivus. You know, a Festivus for the rest of us. I mean, that man just had it, right? He knew it. December 23rd. And I thought, man, I've been involved in some crazy holiday situations. 
This was mild to compare to some other stuff I'm going to share with you guys, but, you know, holiday season. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Okay, we're going to tell a story about a wedding announcement party in New Jersey. Let me explain something back in Jersey. So in Jersey... South Jersey in particular, a lot of idiots were looking for reasons to celebrate over anything. It was just one of those things, right? And the reality was, hold on, the reality was that if you, if you had a big win or a big loss, whatever it was, let's go celebrate. We lost a big game. Let's go get drunk. We won a big game. Let's go get drunk. And sometimes what they would do is they'd have these parties, like Memorial Hall and places like that, where they would actually celebrate. Follow me on this, okay? They would celebrate announcing that they planned to get married. And that's what happened this day. Before we really get into it, I want to say happy birthday to Danielle Cataray. Danny, I miss you so much. And one night, Danielle and I were talking late on the phone about a case. And Danielle was frustrated. And one of the things Danielle loved was me making fun of myself. And I tell her she was depressed one night. And I'm like, hey, I got a funny story for you. And the first thing Danny says is, oh, God, please don't tell me your Donald Trump story again. I'm not in the mood. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you Donald Trump's story. I said, but I'll tell you a story about people having a party to announce they were getting married. And I promise you, I will be one of the victims in the story. She goes, okay, I'm listening. She always enjoyed a good mock of me. Now, before we get... <laughs> I know, right? Before we get into this, I'm going to change the names. Because... The three people involved are close friends of mine to this day, and it's a little embarrassing. I don't want to put their, their business out there. So we're going to call one Tom. Tom was a lawyer in Jersey. Dan, he's a police officer. Greg, he's in the medical profession. And me. These are all fake names of the four people at this party, but let's break it down. Greg, great guy. His ex-girlfriend is about to get married. We all suspect it. We get these invitations, collated invitations, very expensive by New Jersey standards. But you know, also furniture with Plastic one's also expensive by Jersey standards. Don't put too much into that, but okay. We get these invitations. It's a big announcement. Now, unless you're a moron, you kind of knew what this girl was going to say. Let's just call her Jane. Jane was going to announce that she was getting married. Now, Jane and Greg had dated. In fact, Greg, who's my boy, he still had deep feelings for Jane at the time. And there's this great song by Garth Brooks called Unanswered Prayers. Greg, 
You escaped this one, buddy. But Jane invites us to this party. And it is formal optional. Now, back then, what formal optional meant in New Jersey was you had to put on a turtleneck. Don't ask me why, but turtlenecks were a really big thing. And I've always had a really big neck for a short guy. It was always awkward with those damn turtlenecks. Remember the white and the black turtlenecks? We had, like, different color turtlenecks. So, me and my fr three friends, we go turtlenecking up to this party. Uh, and I said to the guys, why are we going to this? She's going to announce that she's getting married to some idiot. She's going to rub it in Greg's face. We don't need to be there for this shit. Greg wants to go. Tom and Dan... We're really into it. Now, you understand something. At this point in my life, I'm not in law school yet. And I'm going crazy. I'm still bartending at Tropicana. I keep failing the LSAT. If you could fail the LSAT. That's a story for another time. And I see a lot of people who I don't feel are as intelligent as myself becoming lawyers. And I'm bartending my ass off. And I'm studying for the LSAT. And I'm going to these stupid parties. And I'm hanging out with women I don't want to hang out with. But, you know, you're bored. Let's go to the party. Now, the party is in Mays Landing. Mays Landing is probably about 40 minutes from Atlantic City area. It's where Atlantic Cape Community College is. But in Mays Landing, if Jersey has farmland, it'd be like backwoods stuff, right? There's the Hamilton Mall. There was the Atlantic City Racetrack. And then behind there... Tons of trees and stuff. It's easy to get lost. And my sense of directions always sucked. I had bought Dan a GPS. Now, back then, a GPS was a special thing. And I was a gift for him. And I said to Dan, hey, bring your GPS. I don't want to get lost going to this thing. Okay. Here was the thing about Dan. Dan was a bit of a pre-gamer. Like to drink before events. Smart guy, nice guy, but he had an overinflated ego. And while during his military experience, he won this competition, how to find his way back without a compass. So the GPS he felt was kind of a slight to him. And despite his amazing ability in the military to find places, he would often get lost going to the park. The GPS will solve this, right? And for some reason, couldn't really afford multiple GPSs back then, I gave him the GPS as a gift with the notation, if we drive somewhere long distance, you gotta bring the GPS. Of course he doesn't bring the GPS, and I realize it's about 15 minutes into the trip. I say to the guys, oh sh this is going to be one of those weird turns. Hey, Dan, wink, I'm not going to say his real name. Pull up the GPS. Let's plug that thing in. I didn't bring the GPS. Why not? Because I won this competition in the military. So now at this point, you're thinking to yourself, do I go back to Dan's house to get the GPS? Do we keep driving? He's drunk. Tom wants to get drinking. Greg's depressed. I say to Greg, hey, I'm going to go back to his house and get this GPS. I don't want to get lost. Greg's like, no, no, we'll be fine. Just go. 
I start screaming at Dan, why don't you bring the goddamn GPS? I bought you the GPS for situations just like this. Is the GPS going to weigh down the car or something? Even if you know where you're going, why is it a bad thing to have a GPS? That, oh, that pissed me off. Go on and on. So we're driving to the friggin' woods, getting lost. We go to the party, rolling out in our turtlenecks, right? Now, Jane, the girl who, Greg, I'm, sorry, I'm really trying to protect these names, okay? I just want to say the real names, but I'm not going to. There was weird situations there because Greg was a very religious guy. And Jane said to Greg, if you love me, you'll turn your back on the Catholic faith. And this was a big no-no. I remember we're meeting with Greg's family to discuss the aspect of him leaving the Catholic faith because he loved this woman so much. And by the way, she wasn't that religious. She was Methodist, but she acted like she was this huge religious person, which was all bullshit. It was just a control thing. This poor bastard doesn't give up the Catholic faith. I had to play a role in that. It was more like, hey, do you want to give up control? My God. She'll have to go to church with you, but if you want to go to church, who the hell is she to tell you not to or how to worship? And there was drama there. But he was still in love with her. And I'm saying to the guys, we pull through the friggin' woods into this club, country club, whatever the hell it was. Are we sure we want to go in here? But we do. We roll in the turtlenecks and we're at the party. And we're seeing all sorts of people we don't want to hang out with. Fun fact. I had just gotten a rejection letter from Widener School of Law. I went to their trial admission program, and I'm really, I'm out of my mind right now because I can't get into law school. It's that interval between get failing out of Widener and getting into Cooley. And of course, one of my ex-girlfriends is there. She comes up to me, and she goes, hey, what are you doing here? I thought you'd be in Harrisburg. Ha, ha, ha. Well, Harrisburg is where Widener was. So she was mocking me for not going into law school. Appreciated that. And she goes, oh, I forgot you didn't get in. She goes, are you still bartending at Tiffany Lounge? Mocking me. And she goes, there's my boyfriend over there. Isn't he hot? So I see this guy, really tall guy, with a Blockbuster shirt on, wiping his nose. He just did cocaine in the bathroom. And I tell her she's a very lucky, he's a very lucky guy. She goes, you're damn right. She's pissed off. She's drinking. She goes back to Blockbuster Boy. I go up to the bar. Now, what Tom loved to do at parties, he loved to drink Amaretta Sours. But here's a spoiler alert. Whenever Tom drank the Amaretta Sours, he would puke his brains out. And he would just keep drinking them until he threw up. Dan would be doing shots of tequila with a Coors Light. And Dan had this line when he was drunk. And remember, he was pre-gaming already. Dan would tell women that he was one of the 25%. And what that meant was, we're going to keep this as PG as we can, he was one of the top 25% in the world with, you could figure out.
And as stupid as that sounds, because how could he ever know he was in that elite group? It worked for him. He'd go up to real pretty girls, and he'd be drunk, and he had this array of confidence. Oh, 25%! He used to scream it. And, um, they'd think, oh, shit, he is. I don't know. Ugh. And the drunker Dan got, the more he would brag about being in this elite 25% group. Tom just wants to get drunk. Greg and me don't drink. And Greg's extremely depressed. So I go up to the bar. And I'm the only one that's tipping good, uh, by the way. Um, I tell the bartender, Dan will have a shot of tequila and a Coors Light. Tom will have an Amaretta Sour. Me and Greg will have two ginger ales. And do me a favor, put a ton of ice in my ginger ale. To get through the evening, I was going to just keep chewing ice. Because I'm miserable right now. I'm trying to be a good friend. This chick is rubbing her engagement to be in my friend's face. My other two boys are drunk off their ass. We're going to be drunk. Bartender starts making his drinks. And he puts in generic amaretta in the amaretta sale, right? And I said, oh, listen, do me a favor, man. Here's an extra five bucks. Please give Tom the Serona. Give him the best amaretta you can. And the bartender starts getting into it, man. I said, look, man, I get it. In a mixed drink, you probably can't tell. But I've been down this road before. And if you give him the good amaretto, he's not going to puke as bad as the house amaretto. So give him the good amaretto, please. I'll give you extra money, whatever. Just please don't give him the cheap sh**. So they're all dancing and out there. And I'm hanging with Greg going over this. How's it going to be when you see her? Are you going to be okay? Blah, blah, blah. And he's telling me about these movies he's been watching, and he's been reading the Bible a lot. I'm like, oh, God. You know, in his mind, he thought he was meant to be there. In my mind, I want to get the hell out of here. And then there's this other idiot. Danny Morgan. Another fake name, but the initials. You'll get that. Danny Morgan was a somewhat successful lawyer that just graduated from Rutgers. And the thing that blew me away about Danny was at fantasy baseball drafts, you had to slow down. The casino workers were talking too fast for Danny to keep up. Yet he killed the LSAT and was an amazing lawyer, so they said. Danny can't keep up with the fantasy baseball draft. Tom is going to puke when I'm out of sours. Both these guys are in law school. I can't get in. I'm trying to be there for Greg, who's my friend. One of my exes comes up to me. She's screwing Blockbuster boys using Coke. Oh, the band. The music was interesting. I always have to wonder about the future of a relationship. When the band plays Take It On The Run by REO Speedwagon at an engagement party. Look up the lyrics. And then they played Little Red Corvette. One of the problems I have with music is I overthink things and I catch the lyrics really quick. And listen to the lyrics of Little Red Corvette by Prince and Take It On The Run by REO Speedwagon. And you tell me if that is great engagement music. Later in life, 
I'd be at a wedding party where the band would play Heart Songs by Weezer and Brighter by Paramore. And I could tell you right now, have a good divorce lawyer on call for that one. Anyway, the band sucks and they're loud as hell. I'm chewing on ice. My ex-girlfriends mock me for not being in law school. I'm seeing idiots in law school. After a while, Tommy, he's going to start puking as I'm out of sours. So I take him into the bathroom. He's puking his brains out. I'm giving him water to dehydrate. To hydrate. It's like he's getting dehydrated. Dan is out there on the dance floor with three girls. Which, um... Looked like a scene from Shallow Hal. I'll leave that to the imagination. And he's screaming, 25%, 25%. It's working for him. I'm sitting there with Craig. And Jane comes out. And Jane beelines over to Craig. And I'm sitting there just watching this whole thing. She says, oh, I can't believe you came. This is so great. I always want us to be friends. I'm going to announce that I'm getting engaged to somebody today. He's like trying to hold back the tears. And I'm like elbowing him. Like, don't show her you're upset. And I'm, you know, defending my friend. Saying, oh, well now. I'm sure whoever you're with is not going to be as successful or as good looking as Greg. But congratulations to you. We don't want to wreck your day. We're going to get out of here now. Well, out comes... The fiance. Holy shit. Dude. It looked like Greg's twin. We're all just sitting there like stunned. Like the guy that she was going to marry was a goddamn identical twin to my friend Greg, who's depressed because he wouldn't give up his religion for Jane. I'm chewing the ice, right? Like, this is like a bad dream. And all I'm thinking is, man, how am I not in law school right now? Um, hanging with my boy, Greg, and I'm patting him on the shoulder. Hey, dude, let's get out of here. It's fine. Dan is drunk, yelling his 25%. Tommy's puking on Amaretta Sowers, trying to get with different girls. Danny Morgan, the successful lawyer, can't keep up with the fantasy baseball draft. I'm sucking on ginger ales. The band is playing weird, adulterous-type music. Finally, the band plays Angel by Aerosmith, and my ex-girlfriend comes rolling over to me because Blockbuster Boy keeps running to the bathroom. He had a drug problem, apparently. She was moved by the song, says, hey, let's get out of here, and I'm like, no, will you please leave me the hell alone? I mean, I'm miserable, but you're trying to be a good friend, right? She makes this move on me, and I said something to the effect of maybe for foreplay he could take off a Blockbuster shirt and put a FedEx shirt on. Leave me alone. That was not the thing to say to her when she was intoxicated. She takes a drink, throws it in my face. She's pissed off and crying. Blockbuster boy's still getting high. Greg is distraught. Um, Dan is... Getting numbers with the 25% line. Tommy keeps puking on the Amaretta Sailors. Eventually, the night ends. We get the hell out of there, right? 
I'm in the car now, driving, as the only one who was either sober or mentally stable at this point, because my friend Greg is a little distraught. It's raining, we're in the backwoods, we don't have the guy GPS, because Mr. 25% won a military award and can't put a GPS system in the friggin' car. And we're in silence in the car, right? And I'm like, am I the only one that's going to say it? Does her fiancé look identical to Greg? And they're like, oh, shit, you're right. Who didn't see this? Um, as we get home... I drop off the drunks. I go to Greg's house. And we're playing Madden football, and I suck at Madden, and he's beating my ass and feeling better about life, she's beating me at this, and, um, tells me how he's laying up his religion, and he wants to find a good Catholic girl, and blah, blah, blah. Hug each other goodbye. Get the hell out of there. On my cell phone, there's a bunch of missed calls from, um... The ex. I went home, I woke my dog, went to sleep, and that was the end of it. And I thought, well, before I went to sleep, I I will say, I did a bunch more practice questions on the LSAT. Because I said to myself, there's no way in hell I'm not going to get into law school. This is ridiculous. I got a drunken guy puke on Amaretta Sowers, who I love you, by the way. But uh, come on, dude. You, you were drunk on Amaretta Sowers. And Donnie Morgan, Mr. Slowdown at Fantasy Baseball, and here I am bartending. What is wrong with this picture? I'm happy to say we all have lived happily ever after. Um, Jane and her man are not together anymore. And the cover band that was doing Mario Speedwagon and Prince have all went their separate ways. Alright, I'm doing my damn. That's enough for now. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.